Today, we're going to talk about the critical role of employee relations. Workplaces are increasingly complex, and in high-performing organizations, employee relations is central to the HR organization. Why? Because some managers follow protocols and some don't, and that poses unnecessary risk. To help you identify and remedy the risk, we've called in HR consultant, Ryan Gaither, employee relations strategist for Capital Blue Cross. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, outperformance coach and author of Winning the Talent Show. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. With over a decade of experience in people leadership roles, Ryan is currently serving as people relations business partner at Capital Blue Cross. He is a trusted advisor to executive level leaders, specializing in employee relations and employee engagement, including complex work investigations, performance management, conflict management, and policy development and enforcement. Ryan is a SHRM CP certified professional, a certified trainer, mentor, and executive coach. He is also president of the Board of Directors of New Visions, Inc. Ryan, welcome to Voices of HR. Thank you so much, Berta. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we are so excited for you to be here because, you know, today feels like the workplace is becoming really complex and employee relations is really starting to take center stage. And so in addition to your role as an employee relations strategist at Capital Blue Cross, you're also an HR consultant for other organizations who call on you in the most challenging situations. So if you will, let's start here. What are the most common, maybe your top one, two, or three scenarios where you're being called into a company to help create a solution to a situation? What is happening there? So if I was to think of the top two instances why I'm typically called into an organization, um, one would be high turnover. The other would be underperforming um, our performance management with manager and staff. So for, and I think that both of those issues kind of stem around the same thing. Uh, And when I say the same thing, I'm talking about a lack of feedback um, or what the organization does with the feedback that they receive. Um, there's feedback that's actionable. So when you talk about high turnover and I'm coming into an organization, typically I'm looking at, do they have an exit survey strategy in place? What are they doing with the feedback that they receive? Um, also, who are they allowing to do the exit survey? Is it the manager? Is it HR? Um, and then are they acting on the feedback? And then when I talk about underperforming or performance management type of situations, in those environments, are managers giving the employee the feedback that they need to be successful? Um, I often talk about how do we coach to success? So when people hear performance management, they often think of like the ugly side of HR or like corrective action or terminations. And those are things that definitely happen. However, before those things happen, how how is HR or employee relations specifically equipping managers to help their employees coach to, to coach their employees to success? How are they removing barriers um, that, that impede that employee from being successful? How are they taking commitments and communicating clearly 
um, so that they ensure and check for understanding that that employee understands the standards that he or she is going to be assessed by. So I had read in a study that upwards of 80% of employees look to their immediate manager as the company. And so that makes me wonder, is the turnover directly correlated with the fact that sometimes they don't have a high-performing manager or maybe a low-performing manager that needs to be coached up? Is there a correlation between the two? Berta, absolutely. Absolutely, there's a correlation. And that's where HR employee relations comes in to be able to equip these managers to say, hey, maybe we implement a manager boot camp. Maybe we talk about leadership academy. Maybe we talk about those things that managers can utilize in their tool belt to be more successful with their employees. Um, and also, a lot of times what we have is we have managers come in, in my experience has been managers are subject matter experts related to the, the field that they have been promoted in. Well, now the huge piece of, of leading and developing is the people leadership part. So they may have been a great nurse, right? However, now that they're the nurse manager, now they're still a great nurse, but now they have to be a great people leader. So it's up to HR to say, hey, how can we implement and collaborate with our learning and development teams to really equip our, lead, our people leaders with the skill set that they need to be effective? And, and you're, I just want to go back to what you mentioned related to um, employees looking at their manager as the organization. It's it's very, very important because if we don't, when we talk about employee experience, right, what things are we setting up? So we, I think that that directly relates to the employee relations function, because when we talk about an employee being developed, an employee coming into the organization, um, and also an employee exiting the organization, those are all touch points that employee relations has with an employee. And the employee chalks that up to their employee experience within the organization. And we have to make sure that that, that is top notch. That's only done by collaborating with learning and development, as well as equipping our people leaders and ensuring that our staff have the best, best employee experience that we can provide them. Mm-hmm. So when you are called in and a manager, regardless of the profession, it could be nurse, it could be a finance manager, um, probably could be an administrator um, in some organizations, what are you typically seeing that these individuals aren't doing that they should be or that is getting them into trouble? Because I remember talking to some C-suite executives and you know, I was called in and this individual wasn't performing. It was a senior level executive and they had a different view of what leadership was. They really thought that it was very power-centered, and it can be for some people, very power-centered, and therefore they had to be very directive, and um, almost he was almost abusive to his staff. And so what are you seeing? Is that typical, or what are the top two things that you're seeing that the leader isn't doing that they should be that is putting the organization at risk that maybe our HR pros need to look for? I'm seeing some of the same things. So when I when I go into a situation, I'm looking for exactly what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. How is that man, how is that leader do they have the capability to lead with empathy, right? Is that mm-hmm. is that in their toolbox? Is that in their toolkit? Because it's important and also are they assuming that a staff member 
or the leader that they're leading understands what he or she is supposed to do without those things being adequately communicated to them. Mm. And so what does adequate mean? The old HR, um, the old HR adage is if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. Mm. So you'll see in organizations that leaders will often say, well, I followed up enough. I've, I've had this conversation a multitude of times. It's time to move to corrective action. It's time to move to termination. But as the, as the ER professional, I'm going in and I'm saying, as a third party, I don't have a side. I want to see what has been done with this employee, what development has taken place. And if you don't have any documentation to support the conversations that you're talking to us that you've had, mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult for us to be able to collaborate with you to move forward on anything actionable. Um, so that's where we that's where ER plays the part of being that unbiased third party to advocate for the employee, but to also uh, mitigate risk within the organization because we don't want anyone to be un- unlawfully terminated, right? Or ha- even allow the door to be open for any perceived discriminatory practices when we talk about performance management. Yeah, and I think that is the biggest misconception is that when talented people get promoted, that they automatically become a great leader and they don't, they absolutely don't. So a couple of things that you just said that leaders are going to lead with empathy and we're going to come around to that. But also if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. And so let me ask you a quick question about that. So, so many times Um, if things end up progressing and there is a termination, right? This is where someone like you with your skill set, your experience, your background, your certifications can come in and say, okay, we have to document this because we have to show a, that we are investing in the individual and we're trying to make it right. And number two, if we ever end up in a legal situation, this is what's going to back us up. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. We need that documentation to show that this isn't this isn't just what we we've done with this employee. This is these are our practices across the wide spectrum of employees that we may have within an organization. Because again, when that door is open and you have to show your documentation, whether that's to an external agency, whether that's the EEOC or any other licensing body, we want to be able to say that everything we've done to invest in our employees is above board. Um, and also, too, changing the narrative from covering yourself as an organization to this is the best practice to invest in this person's development, right? Because the the documentation also demonstrates that you've had the conversation. And a lot of times with managers, they have to be equipped to have the effective conversation with the employee. And those aren't always easy conversations. Feedback is never an easy thing to do. Um, But when you're a people leader, you have to really be equipped to be able to do so in an effective manner. Yeah. And so I guess that really lends us to that second part, which is leading with empathy. And I always talk about how, you know, so much time has been spent on the why, you know, know your why, the why, why, why. And one thing that I always talk about with my individuals that I coach is also focus on the how. And I would suspect with mental health really at the forefront at most organizations, 
how an organization successfully handles these situations really requires a new and enhanced skill set where employee relations, someone like you can really help um, our HR pros with. So what has changed in employee relations with regards to mental health and how, how do you recommend pros now approach situations? Because sometimes you don't know the mental health of an individual. Absolutely, Berta. Absolutely. I think we've shifted from a model where we didn't acknowledge um, mental health hurdles or things that were happening to the holistic individual, right? And we were just looked at kind of like as the, the for, for lack of better words, the hammer, so to speak. And that's not what we want to be. Um, we want to be an employee advocate like we talked about. So when you talk about the shift that has occurred right now, we have to focus more so on overall employee wellness, right? So we have to encourage the organization to advocate um, wellness programs within the organization for when a manager is dealing with an, dealing with an employee to be okay with saying, hey, this is our employee assistance program, right? Does your organization have an employee assistance program? If not, that's that's a vendor or something that should go out for RFP because it's it's necessary um, as you're navigating the workforce today. Um, also, when you talk about that, when you're dealing with any sort of leave situation, are you partnering with your with your leave administrative te- administration team? Um, also, when an employee, how do you equip managers to understand when they need to incorporate ADA? Um, you know, when an employee says to them, he or she um, needs some further accommodations, but maybe doesn't use the word accommodation. How do you equip them to have those conversations or to know who to go to to have those conversations in a t- timely manner? Those are all things that mitigate risk within the organization, but also bode well for the wellness of our workforce. Yeah. And I mean, as, as I was just listening to you speak, I'm thinking about our HR pros that are listening, who are the one person shops, who are handling everything from hiring to, um, you know, performance management to ADA to FMLA to, I mean, just everything soup to nuts. And so what, what advice do you have for them? when they are dealing with, when they're trying to diagnose exactly what the risk is to the organization, is there a couple of things that you can recommend or you can give advice on that can help point them in the right direction? Berta, so I I think that's a really good, a really good question. One of the things that I, I do is I always partner with a consultant of some sort. So for me, um, that's, partnering and collaborating with legal, um, especially if you're a one-stop shop. So let's say you're, for example, I was a, I was a one-stop shop when I was in school district HR. I was an HR manager in a school district. And I always partner with my solicitor because he or she gave me sound legal advisement, but also made sure that we protected the, or, the school district because that, I didn't have the time to dig into everything that they will. Right. It wasn't necessarily my expertise at the time because I had to have a good enough grasp of everything else in the under the HR umbrella. The other piece as it relates to being a one stop shop in HR is 
identifying your resources, right? So what further um, educational bodies are out there? What further what further peer groups can you utilize? Like for um, is there is there a SHRM chapter in your in your area where you can bounce ideas professionally off of other pro- professionals and receive feedback on those types of things? Because remember, you're not the only one who has went through the thing that you're navigating currently. And I think that's the beauty of being in HR. We don't have, even though you're a one-stop shop, you're not an island all to yourself. So don't hesitate to reach out, ask questions of other practitioners and, and seek advisement that way as well. That is such great advice because you do sometimes feel like you're an island when you're the only HR person. I know you've you've uh, filled those shoes as well. So, and I have as well. Uh, so there are also situations where things take a very risky path. So where HR maybe isn't handling something as carefully as they should, or they're not getting the advice that they should. Is there any particular situation or situations where you're seeing maybe a trend where HR isn't getting involved and they should be? I'm thinking more along the lines of DE&I, you know, as our workforces start to become more diverse. Absolutely, Berta. I think think you bring up a really good point. Um, Human resources or HR practitioners have to take a stance related to their organization's DE&I efforts. They have to be at the forefront of them. They have to make it a part of what, not another initiative, but just part of what we do daily, part of what we do for every employee group that we have in our organization is we are um, we are empathetic, we are understanding, we are approachable. What we, our our policies and procedures they apply to all of our employees. Um, they're not we don't have anything that's going to adversely impact any one group. Whether that's even when you look at your um, yearly employee evaluations. How can they adversely impact other other um, certain aspects of the org- certain employees of the organization? Also, when you look at corrective action, one of the things that I do as a, when I talk about trends is I look at throughout the year, quarterly. I'm going to look at what employee demographic has been adversely impacted the most um, when it comes to to write ups. Also, whether that's age, race, gender. Um, and even time within the organization, um, because those are all things. When you talk about inclusive, how do you, how do organizations make it so that new employees feel welcomed, no matter what they look like when they come into the organization? Um, oftentimes, you will see that organizations have like, or employees may feel that organizations have your folks who are here and who have been in the organization for a while, and they're kind of closed off to the nuances of the organization to, to the newer folks. And how do we bridge those gaps? I think HR has a has a huge role in that. And we have to always, I know I'm always looking at those trends. ER has the responsibility when we are faced with a situation, whether it's a termination, whether it's a corrective action, to ask the difficult questions, Right so that we can have an understanding and we can be that barrier to ensure that DE&I initiatives are going through effectively within our organizations. And that if a manager has an unconscious bias, 
that we bring that to the forefront of, of he or she so that they can effectively work through those things. Yeah, a couple of things that you just uh, reminded me. So even though an HR pro is helping to protect the organization, right, to minimize the risk, they still must adhere to state and federal laws. That really is who I view as their true employer because they're held accountable as an HR leader to adhere to those laws. So that's number one. Number two, what are some of those critical questions, those questions that HR doesn't want to ask, particularly when they're senior levels, right? Who appear to be the ones who are sometimes protected the most. They're the most egregious and they're protected the most. What questions should the HR pros be asking in a situation, in a risky situation, to uncover maybe some of these illegal biases? Absolutely. This is a great question, Berta. So I'm always asking, let me see the documentation that you've done this with everyone else. If you are encountering a situation and you go to that manager, that senior level leader, and he or she is looking to maybe performance manager someone out based on productivity standards, it's easy to walk in there and say, hey, let me see how you've applied this same standard to everyone within the team, right? And request that data. And you may not ask it in that manner. You may ask it like, it would be beneficial for me to, to look at this case to see all the metrics for everyone across the board. And then you have a responsibility as an HR pro at that time to look at the data, see how it see how it may potentially impact other people. And also, you know, as the HR pro, if the other folks who may have fallen under, under the standard, if they receive disciplinary action, if they received coaching, um, if, if it was reflective in their evaluations, those are the things. So oftentimes as ER practitioners, we have to be able to step back and not want to quickly diagnose the issue, but use our use our analytical mind to say, hey, these are the things that, that are in play here. And these are dictating the questions that I'm asking you. And it's, it's difficult because when you talk about senior level leaders, those are also on the, on the disc set scale. They may be your, your, um, your D type personalities who really want the results and really want it done quickly. And they have to understand, and that's where the partnership comes in and the influence comes in from the ER practitioner to, to let this person know, hey, I'm really working to your best interest here, but I'm going to ask some questions that are difficult. I want to ask some questions that are difficult. And you're almost staging that relationship every time you guys have an interaction, but your credibility relies on it. And when you provide a good work product, they know you're going to ask those difficult questions going in and they respect you for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I wrote um, Winning the Talent Shift, it the research really showed and illuminated some of the most diabolical tactics that managers and executives use to demean, suppress, control people. Some actually thought that they were inspiring performance, to your point. And you know, after the book was released, I received emails and phone calls from 
individuals across the globe. They could be mid-level managers. They could be just starting out in their career, fewer CEOs of very large organizations who had actually been bullied in the workplace. And this is something that I, I'm really passionate about, that HR really needs to protect the employees from these types of leaders who are put in very powerful positions, who are very actually should be very responsible positions, but they but they aren't acting the values of the organization. One thing that I'm concerned about always is that bullying today is not against the law. There is no law against bullying, although it has been proposed in 31 states, the Healthy Workplace Bill. It does have some momentum, um, but it has stalled. And so what advice could you give to HR pros who have to deal with the situation where multiple people are coming to them and saying, our, our manager's just a plain bully. They're just mean. Mm-hmm. So this is a really good question as well. And this, this happens um, daily within the workplace. I, I think one, to, to first answer your first concern, even though there may not be a bullying policy, you have to have some sort of zero tolerant harassment policy within the workplace. You you should. If you're if you're an HR practitioner and you have an organization, you should advocate for that organization to have a zero tolerance um, harassment policy. So the second piece of that is when I'm faced with staff members having a complaint regarding their manager and it's a group of them. The first thing I do as an HR practitioner is I let those employees know that I am going to follow up with their leader on these concerns. So I give them the option. Would you like, if you don't want me to follow up, then I can't. I won't follow up, right? But I want this to be done in a a fair and equitable way. And I want to get a resolution to what you're bringing to the table. But then also when I follow up with that leader, I let him or her know that we have a policy against any sort of retaliation because now we're in an investigation and those employees have a right to air their concerns to human resources. So in addition to that, once once that follow-up is done and I'm, I'm asking the necessary questions of that manager based on the employee interviews that I just completed with those two staff, I'm then touching base with ancillary departments and seeing, do they still have that same, do they have that same experience? Have any other employees experienced these types of things? And based on the feedback that I get when I complete the interview, I'm, the, I'm then going to circle back with the employees to let those them know that it's closed out. But I'm also going to recommend some action steps to that leader. And they're, I'm sorry, and also to their leader as well. Mm. Yeah, because someone has to hold them accountable, right? And if you really are going in with the approach that you're trying to coach up, that you're trying to solve this and resolve this for everyone so that everyone moves in the right direction, there has to be someone holding them accountable. Because my biggest concern here, especially with bullies in the workplace, is that 70% of the time I found in my research, it was affecting women and people of color. And 100% of the time, if you can believe it, Ryan, was high performers. 
So high performers were getting bullied, and it was mostly due to the fact that these leaders, these people in powerful positions, were actually suppressing or holding these individuals down to make themselves feel better and retain their position of power. And if you think about that across the organization, right now we're trying to retain and hold on to those high performers. And most HR departments don't know what is actually happening in their organizations until people speak up. Yes. And, and Berta, you bring up so such great points. I think that's also why it's the responsibility of human resources to be present within the organization, to, to, to get out amongst the, amongst the staff, amongst the leadership, to not just show our faces when maybe there's a difficult thing going on, or maybe there's, there's a new initiative that's being communicated throughout the organization. We should frequently be touching base with departments within, our, within the organization just to, to let folks know, hey, we're here. We're here, but also we have a responsibility to role model what effective leadership looks like. So when those managers are in those classes that we discussed earlier, because they were partnering with um, learning and development, right? We have a responsibility for them to see HR demonstrating how to lead without coercion, how to how to lead in an empathetic manner, how to um, demonstrate how to create a culture of accountability without isolating anyone, right? With and, and encouraging innovation and also not being threatened when new leaders come within the organization or high performers come within the organization and they demonstrate their skill set. We have to equip our leaders not to be threatened by those things. Absolutely, because it does take a team. It does. And obviously you're there for a reason and you should feel valued. Um but what are some effective strategies that HR pros can use to nurture good relationships with their employees? Because again, back to some may just be the, the only HR pro. Um, is it a good tactic to maybe once every quarter or once every six months to reach out? If you have an organization of, let's say, 50 people, 75 people, would a tactic be to reach out to them proactively and, and schedule 15 minutes, 30 minutes with each employee just to see how they're doing and, and how everything's going. And um, would you ever recommend that? Oh my goodness. Yes. I think the more, the more employee touch bases that you can have, the better, the tough balance with that, right. Especially if you're, if you're a department of one is that the more you touch base with people, the more potentially they can put on your plate. Right. <laughs> it's so, so true. So you, you have to be able to navigate your plate. How, however, the more that employees know that you're visible and know that your door is open and in a virtual world, know that your email is open, your team's chat is open to them, the more they, they'll come to you and that they, they'll feel supported. Um, and even if you're not giving them the information that maybe they want to hear, maybe you're giving them that, that hard line advisement that HR sometimes has to provide, they still look at you as a resource. Um, and, and that's where we have to get to understanding that we are a human resource for, for, the, for the workforce. Um, so it's, it's important. It is important. And maybe for those HR pros who are actually product, uh, proactively reaching out to their employees so that you don't have so many to-do lists, 
one tactic that I've used in the past is what is the one thing that you would like me to take away or do for you? And then, and then actually do that so that you don't have 10 things because you're absolutely right. You don't have time for everything. I want to, I want to go back if you're okay with it. So we talked earlier about um, two of the most common things you see, right? Yes. Yes. And I talked about high turnover. So when you talk about um, just now the question on touch points and and periodically checking in, organizations are using state interviews, right? State interviews are a great touch point that you can either make electronic or make them a a manual process where someone's actually writing down the answers, um, but allowing those touch bases to exist where maybe you're checking in on an employee um, 90 days after his or her date of hire, six months, one year in, and you're garnering feedback, one, to let people know that you value you value them, right? But then also to, incur, in, to improve overall the employee experience because the more feedback you get about it, the better you can make it if you act on the feedback. Again, going back to feedback loops are important, but how we act on the on the feedback is even more important as an organization and as HR practitioners. So if we get those stay interviews in place, that would be a point that I would advise um, not only for leaders, but also for, for our staff members. I think that is such a critical point and such a critical tactic for HR to use because one of the things um, particularly for for new leaders or for new employees too, is most look only to their boss for promotions or for coaching. And the one thing that I absolutely recommend that they always do is don't ever have overdependence on a single advocate. And so this actually expands their network. And women in particular aren't as good as men in expanding their network, right? And so this does get them give them a green light to actually start reaching out to others to get valuable feedback and to give it, to learn how to give it. Berta, you bring up another great point related to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we talk about um, women and networking in the workplace, right? Um, I'm familiar with some organizations creating an ERG, which is an employee resource group related to women having a network in the workplace. And then they they gather to talk about issues that primarily impact women within the workplace, but also allow allyship. So men within the workplace can also attend, but the employee resource group is primarily for women within the workplace. And for them to to create that space to, uh, to, to attack the hurdle that you mentioned related to networking. So now as we're, as we're really wrapping this up, can you, provide an example without breaching any type of confidentiality that is just maybe a typical example of how you're called in, what the situation was, maybe the top two or three things that you did um, to resolve the issue, and then what the follow-up looked like. Because I remember from our previous conversation, you made such an excellent point about follow-up, and I, and I definitely want to make sure that we touch on that as well. So this is this is a great question. Um, thinking about something recent, right? Um, and I want to I want to tread lightly as I go into it, but I think it's such a great example. I had a situation where the employee was reaching out 
to complain about the leader. But the leader was reaching out to complain about the employee's performance. So so now we have everything. It's the perfect storm, right? It's the perfect storm that we're that we're navigating here. And when I when I came on the scene with regards to this, I met with the employee and I felt that it was really, really important for me to have pointed questions around the feedback and the concerns that they had. I also felt like it was really important, and I want to go back to use a tangible example of why it's important to ask leaders to document their conversations that they're stating that they have had with employees. So the manager was at a place where they wanted to terminate this employee for their performance. But as we dug into the conversation, the manager didn't have any documentation to support where they wanted to go. And so as I'm interviewing the manager, I then provide them um, recommendations based on what I've seen. And for me, my chief recommendation was to go back to this employee, have a facilitated conversation with the three of us, um, the manager, the employee, and myself present, and talk about reestablishing expectations, right? How do we reestablish? How do we, re- how do we reset everything between those two, and also to build a healthy and effective work relationship, right? We have to, as HR practitioners, I have to be able to equip that manager to have a quality work relationship with their employee and also allow the employee to know, hey, you have a voice, we encourage you to use it, but you also have expectations too, right? So there's that that delicate dance that we play where we say, hey, I need you to perform your job. I also need you, I also need a manager to be able to communicate that in an effective manner, right? And how do we meet the two? So once we had that facilitated conversation based on the recommendations that I provided, I'm then equipping that manager on having that conversation and leading that conversation and me being a um almost like a fly on the wall. But if things go the wrong way, steering things back on track, right? And allowing that employee to feel like they were supported, right? The the key piece in this is saying, this happened. Now you guys move forward, but then I go back and I follow up with the employee to say, hey, do you have anything else, right? How are things going? It's been a couple weeks. I just want to make sure that all is still going well, that you have a clear understanding of what's expected of you as an employee, that the reset with the manager is going well. How are you guys still having your one-on-ones? How are those things forming for you guys? Um, is he or she still um, ensuring that you have a quality relationship with the rest of your peers as well? So that is just as important because you're doing that delicate dance and you want that man, that employee to also feel feel supported because this started with a complaint of them having against the manager and then the manager having the complaint against the employee related to their performance. So you have this balance of tying all of this together and ensuring everyone feels supported. And follow-up is key to that, to make sure that it stays on the tracks. Yes. One of the things that I try to do with investigations of that, of that variety is you, you close out with some sort of documentation, but you also then follow up within a week 
to each of the to each of the people involved, but then monthly put something on your calendar so you can just touch base. Just hey, how's everything going? I just wanted to check in on you. It, and if you can, if you have, um, if your organization allows for some sort of chat system, just say hey, I just wanted to, I just wanted to touch base with you. Hope all is well, right? Um, those are the things that you can do. This the little things that don't take much time on your calendar but allow you to be effective as an HR leader. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, all I keep thinking is if everyone just followed their expectations, they wouldn't need us. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but we're glad they do. <laughs> anyway. Um, so one last thing before we get into rapid fire questions is retaliation. Because it is prevalent in the workplace. And a legal friend of mine told me one time that retaliation is the number one thing that the courts are seeing and the courts don't like to see when it comes to employees and employee relations. Can you give us just some some nuggets of insight on what HR pros should look for when it comes to retaliation and what maybe the courts look for when it comes to re- retaliation? So um, the courts want to look for things like have you have you changed that employee's job responsibilities since he or she made made a complaint against you? Um, not only have you changed their job responsibilities, have you added or removed things from from the job description, which was is within your right to do as a leader, but the timing of it adds suspicion. Um, the other piece: have you changed their have you changed your schedule? Um, have you changed the way that you lead them? Um, for example, this happens a lot. Managers receive a complaint against them, and then they become micromanaging to the to to the employee. So now you're expecting more check-ins. You're having more um, heavy-handed involvement within that employee, and that may not be discriminatory of any of any sort. However, it is different. So it opens the door for something that ER practitioners have to dive into and investigate and see why is this happening. And when you go back to documentation, we'll have it documented that the last time we were investigating this concern, this wasn't brought up by the employee. And now as a closeout, when I did my check-in two or three weeks later, this is something that's brought up. How can... How can I then go into equip this manager to not do these things, right? Because that's not only am I an advocate, not in ER, in the ER space, it's easy to just be the advocate for the employee and forget that the manager is also an employee as well, right? So how do we balance that entire piece? One of the biggest complaints that I receive when I'm coaching individuals who are in a tense situation with their leader primarily at the executive level, is that they may have voiced a concern to the leader. The leader, it either took a hit to their ego or the leader has changed their mind on the individual or that maybe that person's now against them. And without any type of documentation, at their next review, all of a sudden their numbers plummet, where they may have been a distinguished performer or a high performer, all of a sudden they're a low performer. Tell me about that. So absolutely. And that's where we have a, you mentioned earlier how bullying 
kind of grinds your gears, that this is an example of something that really grinds my gears. I am often saying to leadership, we this employee was just on a slate for being a great performer. So how do we have this a couple weeks or a couple months later? I, I need you to paint the picture for me so I can understand. And I think as HR practitioners, we have to not be afraid to ask those tough questions because everything we're talking about, the only way that we can we can coach it out of our organizations is if we ask the tough questions, right? If we just, if, if we allow leaders to paint pictures for us and we don't question it, our employees will never have a voice. And that is why it's so important when those things come down the pike for us to question them as, e, as ER, HR professionals. I am consistently, I need the full story before we can, and that may include part of my investigation, but before I'm making any actionable moves, I need the full scope, the full story. Yeah, because employees are not going to come forward. They're not going to give feedback if they know that retaliation is in their near future. They're just not. And that type of toxicity from any leader within your organization should have the zero tolerance policy that you talked about before. And that's also why it's so important when you talk about the stay interview process, when you talk about those, how do you create those touch points where you as HR have a, have a clear visual of almost what is taking place within the organization so that when a, when a, when a manager paints a picture to you that maybe is inaccurate, it's kind of tickling, tickling on you like, hey, I need to question this. As for the documentation to this, can you show me how you've applied this across your whole department or your, the rest of your leadership? Talk to me about that. And I think those are the questions that are so key for us, for us to ask as HR pros. So HR, keep asking the questions, be as proactive as you possibly can, and zero tolerance policy for bad behavior, always. All right, Ryan, are you ready for rapid fire questions? I am. All right. So these are one sentence questions with one sentence answers. Most people can't get the one sentence answer though. It usually turns into two or three and that's totally okay. All right. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Leading with empathy. Mm. Great answer. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? And what advice should they ignore? Building relationships is extremely important. The piece of the piece of advice that I would ignore. I don't know. We may have to come back to that. <laughs> I always think about college grads always think that I have a daughter right now who's graduating and it's you, you talk to her, her and her friends and they all think that they're going to get this perfect job right out of the gate. And I don't know if that's true. Can you get your, is your first job always the perfect job? No, <laughs> no, no. I, so to, to that point, Berta, I would say that not to necessarily ignore it, but sometimes it's worth it to work through the difficult situations because you learn so much from them. You learn so much from them as a professional. That's such great advice. What do you wish everybody understood about your job? 
as much as I try to to talk about it and show it that employee relations is here to help. We are here to help. So true. What move did you make that had the biggest positive impact on your career? Transitioning into HR. Um, when I was when I was younger, I was a I was an operations manager, and I had a friend who was a HR practitioner, and he actually was the the reason that I transitioned into human resources because he talked about. I have some transferable skill sets that would be of use in human resources. And he provided the the springboard, so to speak. And that was my transition into human resources as an HR generalist. That's terrific. What's your favorite productivity hack for HR professionals? So this is, this is probably going to be controversial. Mm, okay. Bring it on. This is probably going to be controversial, but I will say that I am currently experimenting with the use of ChatGPT. I am. I am currently experimenting with it. I, I, I see some pros to it. I also see the cons. Um, but I think that there's an avenue there to be strategic in HR, um, utilizing some of the AI that is, that is out there. Also, um, there's some AI out there related to um, the development of presentations. Um, also, um, there's there's a lot of AI out there that I think I think is um is beneficial if used the right way. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think it's it's here. I do think it has the momentum. It mm-hmm. has the probability of changing our lives in meaningful ways, and strategically, you absolutely have to play with it. So, how about you try it out? I'll try it out, and then maybe we'll have you back and we'll have a a session on that. I agree. I would. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. I would, be I would love it. Come back, especially to have that conversation. Ryan, where can people go to learn more about you? Great question, Berta. Presently, I am on LinkedIn at Ryan Gaither, and my contact information can be found there. Terrific. Today, we have been joined by Ryan Gaither, HR consultant and employee relations strategist for Capital Blue Cross. Thank you again for joining me, Ryan. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.